If you know anything about students at a school, you know that the lost and found section grows, it seems, by the day. And um, some of them don't really realize they've left something here. And so when teacher conferences come, there's tables that are full of things that are lost. And the staff is here is hoping they'll be found. Otherwise, we have to have to give them away. Lost and found. Jesus is the one who seeks those who are lost and he finds them. We, we find that in Luke chapter 15. We're going to read verses 1 through 10 as we look at two of the parables that Jesus told in this chapter. Luke 15, starting at verse 1. Now, while the tax collectors and the sinners were coming near him to listen to him, But both the Pharisees and the scribes began to grumble, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable, saying, What man among you, if he has a hundred sheep and has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open pasture and go after the one which is lost until he finds it? When he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. When he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep, which was lost. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who need no repentance. For what woman, if she has ten silver coins and loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it. When she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin which I had lost. In the same way, I tell you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we are so thankful today that you have come to seek and to save that which was lost. And when a sinner repents of his sin, there is joy in heaven rejoicing around the throne of God that a sinner has come home. Lord, I pray that you would take now the words that we have read, words that you have given by the inspiration of your Spirit, and apply them, O God, to our lives today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Have you ever lost something that was very important to you? It was over 30 years ago, but I remember it like it was yesterday when I lost my wallet. Have you lost, ever lost your wallet? I had gone to the store, to the mall. We lived in Mankato at the time. And I was wearing these athletic shorts, and I never should have worn those kind of shorts at the mall. But anyhow, so I get home. And I'm looking, uh uh-oh, where is my wallet? What a sinking feeling that is, isn't it? And it was just before the store closed, so that was a Saturday. And at that time, the mall wasn't open on Sunday, so I had to wait until Monday to find out if someone had picked up my wallet. It was torture. I was thinking, there's my driver's license, there's my credit card, there's some cash in there, and I'm thinking, oh, great. And when I called on Monday morning and got the mall office and they said, yep, it's here, someone found it, 
And there was nothing that was missing. I said, oh, praise Jesus. (laughs) That which was lost has been found. In Luke 15, Jesus tells three parables of things that were lost and were found. In verses 1 to 7, we find that of a sheep. In verses 8 through 10, a coin. And then in verses 11 through 32, not one son, but two sons. Okay, we're going to talk about that next week. There were two lost sons, not just one. And so in all three of these parables, Jesus is pictured in a way that's consistent with the purpose of his ministry. Why did Jesus come? Luke 19.10 says, For the Son of Man has come. You can probably finish it. To seek and to save that which was lost. In both of these parables... There are two things that Jesus does. First of all, Jesus searches for those who are lost. One of the things that is helpful in understanding a parable is to ask the question, why was this parable written? What is the background of the parable? Here it's very clear why this parable was written, because Luke tells us. Verse 1, there was all the tax collectors and sinners. They were coming to Jesus to listen to him. But the Pharisees and the scribes began to grumble. And they were saying, this man receives and eats with sinners. Then verse 3 says, so Jesus told them this parable. So we know why Jesus told this parable, because the religious leaders were frowning at Jesus That he would be so silly, so dumb to be able to to welcome these awful people, these tax collectors and the sinners. We know that the tax collectors were among the most hated people in Israel. One author says in Jewish culture they were anathematized because they were turncoat Jews who had sold their souls to buy Roman tax-gathering franchises so they could prey on their fellow Jews. They were loathed in every way. Synagogues would not accept their gifts. Their testimony would not be acknowledged in Jewish courts. They were held to be worse than the heathen. Tax collectors, you, you couldn't hardly find someone who was more hated among the Jews than the tax collector. And that's why the scribes and the Pharisees grumbled that Jesus would actually eat with them. This scum of the earth, that, that Jesus would actually spend any time with them, and they just could not understand it. And then you have the sinners. The sinners were coming near him to listen to him. Now we're all sinners, right? We're all sinful human beings. But they were using this term sinners in a way to describe whom they felt were the the worst of the earth. Uh, They were the immoral ones. They were the ones that made no effort whatsoever to follow all the rules that the rabbis had laid down for the people to follow. And as a result, they were the outcasts. They didn't want anything to do with the sinners. In fact, they were viewed as being so bad that the rabbis even refused to associate with them, even to teach them the law. They wanted nothing to do 
with these immoral people. And so the tax collectors and the sinners, they were the worst of the worst in the eyes of the Pharisees and the scribes. So when they saw these people being received by Jesus and, and Jesus being willing to eat with them, they were absolutely mortified. Aren't you glad that Jesus receives sinners? Aren't you glad that Jesus receives sinners and eats with them? We are going to fellowship with Jesus today around the Lord's table. Jesus receives us and eats with us, fellowships with us, because that's why He came. To seek and to save that which was lost. What hope would you have? If Jesus did not receive sinners, where would you spend eternity if salvation was based upon being good enough? Are you good enough? I'll answer it for you. No. Am I good enough? Absolutely not. Jesus receives sinners. There was an event that took place many years ago in the city of London. It was during the winter and there was these girls that went into this church to warm up and there was an evening service going on. And this text was the text that was being preached. Well, after the service, there was these girls came up and one of the girls was named Edith. And she said to the one preaching that night, she said, I didn't know until tonight that my name was in the Bible. So the pastor says, what's your name? She said, Edith. He said, I don't, I don't recall finding the name Edith in the Bible. Well, he was reading from the King James Version of the Bible, and it said, the Lord Jesus receives sinners and eateth with them. He said, well... You're not totally right, but you are right. <laughs> that Edith, you are among them. That Jesus receives you as well. Aren't you glad that Jesus receives sinners? The tax collectors and the sinners listened to Jesus because they knew they were sinners, right? And as they listened to Jesus, they knew that He loved them and that He came to save them. But the scribes and Pharisees, they didn't think they needed a Savior, did they? They thought that they were righteous in themselves. And they looked down upon those who didn't follow all of their man-made rules about washing their hands and, and what you can do on the Sabbath and all these things that they added to the law of Moses. They had no concern for those who didn't know Jesus because they didn't know Jesus themselves. They had no hope of salvation. So if anyone needed to hear this parable, it was the scribes and the Pharisees. They were grumbling that Jesus would actually love those people that they despised. Now Jesus begins the first parable in Luke 15, by asking a question. What man among you, if he has a hundred sheep and has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open pasture and go after the one who is lost until he finds it? 
Now that is great wisdom, isn't it? The question that Jesus asked here, because there was really only one correct answer, one correct way that the religious leaders could answer it. They would have looked like what? They would have looked like heartless fools if they would have said, just leave it there. If you lose one sheep, just leave it there alone to die. So, so they were in a pickle, weren't they? If, if a sheep was important enough to save, what about an eternal soul? What about someone that, that needed to have a, a right relationship with God? One author says, by introducing the parable with a hypothetical question, the Lord drew the scribes and Pharisees deep into both of the experience and the thinking of the main character. Having assumed that role in their minds and affirmed that what the character in the story did was right ethnically, they were trapped. There was no way... To avoid the Lord's clear and unmistakable application of the truth that if it was right to recover a valuable sheep, was it less important to rescue a soul from judgment? So that question put them between a rock and a hard place. How are you going to answer that? You're going to say, oh, no, no, just let that lamb die. Of course, they wouldn't say that. So, get them trapped. And then Jesus makes the same point in the same way with the parable of the coin. Verse 8, he says, Oh, what woman, if she has ten silver coins and loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it? What are they going to answer to that? Ah, it's only one out of ten. No big deal. What's interesting, the word for coin here is the Greek word drachma, which was worth an entire day's wages of a laborer. So it's not like, oh, she lost a penny, she lost a nickel or a dime. What would you do if you lost an entire day's wages of work? Ah, big deal? I don't think so. I don't think you would do that at all. This coin was valuable to this woman, And there was only one way for the Pharisees to answer Jesus' question. They had to agree that it was wise for her to search through her house. So there's two important things to notice about what the shepherd and the woman were willing to do. First of all, they were willing to search for just one thing. Just one thing. When a sheep was lost, shepherd didn't say, well, I've got 99 others, no big deal. Or when the woman lost the coin, she could say, I still have 90% of my assets. What's 10%? No big deal. They cared about that one thing, that sheep, that coin. And that's a picture of Jesus, isn't it? He is concerned about that one lost soul, that one person that doesn't know Him. And that is why He searches For them, the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Could it be that you are the one that Jesus is searching for today? Are you that one lost sheep? 
Are you that one who is outside of the kingdom of God and Jesus is searching for you? Maybe at this very moment in this place, Jesus is searching for you. Just one. Just one. And yet he searches for that one. Notice also the shepherd and the woman were willing to search until they found what they were looking for. They were not going to give up until they found it. We see that phrase referred to twice. Jesus says that the shepherd looks for the sheep until he finds it. The woman looks for the coin until she finds it. If you've got a bad memory, it might take you a while, right? You ever hid something from the kids so they couldn't find it and then you couldn't find it? Where did I leave that? Huh? You hid it so well you can't even find it yourself. The one lost thing. What does that illustrate? That illustrates persistence, right? Persistently searching. They were not going to give up until they found what they were looking for. And that is Jesus. He persistently seeks for us. Are you thankful for that today? Where would you be if Jesus did not persistently seek you who know Him? Because we don't naturally seek Him. By nature, we are like sheep. We've turned astray. We've gone to our own way. But the Lord is the one who seeks us. There's a wonderful illustration of that in what Jesus did. In the region of the Decapolis, as found in the Gospel of Mark. Mark chapter 5. Remember this demon-possessed man that was cutting himself, and he lived in the cemetery, and, and he could not be subdued by anyone. And, and Jesus cast the demons out of him and cast the demons into the pigs. Remember that? And he went over the hill and into the sea. And what did the people of the Decapolis say to Jesus? Oh, thank you, Jesus. You saved us. You saved this man's life. They said, get out of here. Chapter 5, verse 17 of Mark, they began to implore him to leave their region. What did Jesus do? He was persistent because the demon-possessed man, he wanted to follow Jesus. And what did Jesus say? No. He said, you go home and you tell what good things the Lord has done for you. What did Jesus do? He left them a witness, right? He left them a transformed man, which would be a constant reminder to them of what Jesus can do in their lives. And that's not the end of the story. There's more than that. In chapter 7 of verse Mark, verse 31, it says, Again he went out from the region of Tyre, and came through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee within the region of aha, the Decapolis. The very place that said, get out of here, Jesus left a witness. He came back again and he healed a deaf and mute man. Now, I don't know what you would call that. I would call that persistence. If that had been me, with my old nature... You know what I would have probably said? Find them. You're glad I'm not Jesus? Well, find them. You don't want me? It's your loss. 
persistent. The Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Now think of it. You aren't one of a hundred sheep. You aren't one of ten coins. You are one of billions. One of billions. And yet Jesus cares for you. That ought to blow your mind. To think that the God of creation would look upon all the billions of the people of the world and He'd love you. He'd love me. You're not one of a hundred. You're not one of ten. You are one of billions. And Jesus searches for those who are lost. Is that good news? That is good news. The second lesson we learn in both of these parables is that Jesus rejoices when the lost are found. Searching for a lost sheep, I don't suppose that was the easiest thing in the world. I mean, where, where, where did they go? Which direction should I go to try and find them? And so it wasn't an easy thing to do. But the shepherd was willing to search as long as it was necessary to find the lost sheep. And when he found it, what did he do? Spank it? Say, you dumb lamb? No. He joyfully carried it home. Look at verse 5. When he has found it, he lays it on his shoulder, rejoicing. Who knows how long it took? Who knows what he had to go through to find that lost sheep? But when he found it, he was happy. He rejoiced. And the woman searching for a coin on a dirt floor with maybe no windows or maybe just one window to let in a little light, Some of us can't find things in a well-lit house. Could you imagine finding a coin that was maybe somewhere under some dirt or whatever? But she kept searching until she found it. William Hendrickson said, The home of a person of the poorer classes such as this woman had a dirt floor and either no windows or very small ones. Therefore, once the coin had slipped out and fallen to the floor, it was not easy to find. But she searched until she found it. And when she found it, there was rejoicing, right? When you find something that's worth a whole day's wages that you lost, that was something to rejoice in. Joy. When the lost is found. Those those parables illustrate Jesus so clearly, right? He rejoices when the lost is found. And the first parable is probably the more prominent one because of the picture of Jesus as a shepherd that is that is everywhere in Scripture, right? Old Testament and New Testament. We see that picture over and over of, of Jesus being a shepherd. And I love what verse 4 says about the shepherd carrying the sheep. 
putting it on his shoulders and carrying that sheep because there are so many ways in Scripture that Jesus carries us, right? He's the good shepherd who carries our, our sins to, to the cross, right? Verse 24 of 1 Peter 2, He Himself bore our sins in His body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by His wounds you were healed. And then this picture, for you were continually straying like sheep. Present tense. But now you've returned to the shepherd and guardian of your soul. Jesus began carrying us even while He was on the cross, carrying our sins, bearing the price on His shoulders. I love the picture in Isaiah 46 as Jesus carries us through life. Isaiah 46 verse 3 says, Listen to me, O house of Jacob, all the remnant of the house of Israel, you who have been born by me from birth and have been carried from the womb. And for us old people, listen to this. Even to your old age, I will be the same. And even to your graying years, I will bear you. I have done it. I will carry you. I will bear you. And I will deliver you. Over and over. What does the Lord say? You know what? I have carried you. From the time you were born. And if that isn't enough, He's going to carry us home to glory, right? 2 Timothy 4.18, Paul says, The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and will bring me safely to His heavenly kingdom. To Him be the glory forever and ever. How many of you know that song, Jesus is a wonderful Savior. He will carry you through? Huh? Jesus is a wonderful Savior. He will carry you through. If I had a better voice, I'd sing it, but think of that. All throughout life, when you know Jesus, He's going to carry you through. Whatever trial, whatever trouble you face, He'll carry you, carry you through. Now notice, as the shepherd carried the lost sheep home, he started rejoicing to himself. Can't you just picture him walking along, carrying that sheep, saying, Hallelujah! My sheep has been found! Praise the Lord! But it was such a joy that he couldn't contain it. When he gets home, he says, I've got to gather my friends and tell them. Verse 6, And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, and he says to them, Rejoice with me! For I found my sheep which was lost. The woman did the same thing. Verse 9, when she has found the coin, she calls together her friends and neighbors saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin which was lost. Now think who is listening to this parable. It's these scribes and Pharisees who hate the tax collectors and, and sinners, those who are lost. And they're hearing this story and maybe brought into the story a little bit and saying, oh, that's nice that the shepherd found his sheep and oh, that's nice that the woman found the coin. But when Jesus applied it, 
They were not happy. Verse 7, I tell you, he says, that in the same way, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. And I think we ought to understand it in that way, who think they need no repentance. Verse 10, in the same way I tell you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. That was not something they wanted to hear because they didn't care about the tax collector. They didn't care about the sinners. And to hear that heaven is rejoicing over people like these, how could this ever be? You know how it could be? Because of Jesus. Because of the cross. Paid the price for the tax collectors. Paid the price for the sinners. Paid the price for you and for me. And there is rejoicing when a sinner comes home. The problem with the scribes and Pharisees, they weren't willing to acknowledge that they were among the lost sheep. They didn't think it applied to them. Warren Wiersbe says the scribes and Pharisees had no problem seeing the tax collectors and sinners as lost sheep. But they would not apply that image to themselves. And that is why, that is why religious people are harder to reach than the tax collectors and sinners. They're harder to reach. Because if you don't think you're lost, why would you ever think you needed to be found? And that's the religious people of our day today as well. They go to church and, and they put their money in the offering plate and they sing the songs and they're counting on their, their good works to somehow you know, outweigh the bad and hope they make it. They don't think they need a Savior. They don't want to hear about sin. Redemption, salvation. They're just fine on their own. There was a mother who attended a service in a crowded auditorium and her little daughter Mary was with her and she somehow stepped away and mom couldn't find her. And so she sent a note to the platform that said, if there is a little girl named Mary Moore in the audience who is lost, will she please raise her hand so her mother can find her? Well, no little girl raised her hands and mother was getting quite concerned. So she called the police and they were searching the city for the child. No child found. And so finally she went back to the church and she was waiting for people to come out. And finally, guess who comes out? Little Mary. And she puts her arms around her and hugs her and asks her, she said, didn't you hear the announcement that there was a girl who was lost named Mary and to raise her hand? She said, oh yeah, I heard that. She said, well, why didn't you raise your hand? She said, I wasn't lost, Mommy. I wasn't lost. That's the religious people, right? I'm not lost. How could this apply to me? I'm righteous. I do all these things. How, how could that ever apply to me that I am spiritually lost? And that's why the Pharisees and the scribes despised Jesus. 
Because he was a conviction to them. He exposed their sin. They did not like that. They did not like that at all. I've often wondered what it's like in heaven when a lost sinner is found. This parable says there's rejoicing in heaven. And I was just thinking, and I have no idea, but is there an announcement made in heaven? Can you imagine an angel saying there will be a celebration at 6 p.m. tonight because a sinner in Maple Grove, Minnesota has just come home? <laughs> I have no idea. But there's rejoicing there. When one comes home, there must be some acknowledgement of heaven. <laughs> There's another one that's come home. Jesus found another one who was lost, who has come into a living relationship with him. It'd be a great day if someone here who may not know Jesus recognizes that this is the day that Jesus has been searching for them. Calling them, inviting them to come, to repent of their sins, to receive that gift of eternal life. If that's you, you will know what joy is. We can share the joy with you. And maybe there will be an announcement in heaven saying 6 p.m. tonight. There's a meeting of rejoicing because the lost sinner has come home. Lost and found. I trust you've been found. That Jesus has saved you. That finally he caught up with you as you've been running from him. And he changed your heart and changed your life. We celebrate that as we come to the Lord's table this morning of what Jesus did for us to pay the price on the cross for our sins. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you that you have come to seek and to save what was lost. And I pray that if there's anyone listening to my voice today who does not know you, Lord Jesus, that you would make it clear to them that they are lost and they need to be found and you are the one that can find them. May they receive that gift of life everlasting, the joy of knowing you. In Jesus' name we pray.